Week 5, Day 2, Asaph Strikes Back. My name is AJ Venegas. I am the community group director here at Three Crosses. Psalm 73, 1-3. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. One of the most common complaints I hear from our younger generation is that following Jesus requires many extraordinary sacrifices that they aren't quite ready to make. They say, you know, what is the Bible except an antiquated list of ethical requirements that pose an immediate threat to my freedom, my friends, social circles, and cultural progress itself? In other words, the perception is that the Bible is a buzzkill. It stands between us and what we think is a good time in this world. Besides, who wants to follow this set of rules when we all want to have a good time, especially while we're young, right? Would you say that you've had those feelings before? I remember being familiar with the Bible as I went off to a quote-unquote secular college. For the first time, I was forced to ask myself whether the teachings of the Bible were actually the best way to approach my life. What confused me was watching as my friends uh, either dismissed or sneered at my outdated Christian worldview. Instead, they lived what seemed to be a life free of restrictions, indulging in whatever they so desired. Whatever felt right to them in the moment, they set out to gratify it. Within their own reasoning, of course. If I'm honest with myself, I've had moments where I looked at their lives jealous of their freedom, especially when their mischievous actions led to a rise in popularity, influence, pleasure, and success. Why work so hard to study when others would pull out their phone, cheat, and get better grades than me? Why dedicate so much time to Bible study when I could focus on advancing the career ladder? Why sacrifice to surrender my sexual desires when everyone around me reorients their entire being to enjoy their deepest sexual urges? It was as if the departure from the moral and ethical teachings of Jesus that I had grown up with led to even more freedom more enjoyment, more fulfillment, more life. Could I be missing out on life abundantly? Could the Bible have been promoting a lie this whole time? I wonder how many of you listening today find yourself asking these questions. If this is you, I'd like to welcome you to the beginning of book three, the Psalms of Asaph between Psalm 73 and Psalm 83. Just last week, Randy described Asaph as the chief of the Levites who was appointed to minister before the Ark of the Lord, making them perfect candidates to speak on the topic of worship, sacrifice, and praise. While Asaph desperately wants to hold on to Yahweh's promise to Israel of his goodness and the everlasting kingdom, what he is witnessing could not be further from the promises of God. Look at how he describes the prosperity of the wicked and their attempt to undermine God. Your foes have roared in the midst of your meeting place. They set up their own signs for signs. They were like those who swing axes in a forest of trees, and all its carved wood they broke down with hatches and hammers. They set your sanctuary on fire. They profane the dwelling place of your name, bringing it down to the ground. They said to themselves, we, were, we will utterly subdue them. They burned all the meeting places of God in the land. Psalm 74, 4-8. O oh God, the nations have come into your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. They have given the bodies of your servants to the birds of the heavens for food. 
the flesh of your faithful to the beasts of the earth. They have poured out their blood like water all around Jerusalem, and there was no one to bury them. We have become a taunt to our neighbors, mocked and derided by those around us. How long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your jealousy burn like fire? Psalm 79, 1-5 Hopefully by now you've recognized that the Psalms encourage us to be honest about our lives. If you find yourself clinging to God's promises, yet looking around confused by the prosperity of the people actively working to bring God down, This collection of psalms challenges us to be honest with the Lord about what we see and how this makes us feel. How long, O Lord? How long until we get a glimpse of your goodness? If you are truly God, how long before other people will realize? How long before you will set things straight? Are you even there? Look at how honest Asaph is with God. Psalm 73, 12 to 13. Behold, these are the wicked, always at ease. They increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. I wonder, do you feel like all the sacrifices that you've made to live a godly life feel pointless? There are two directions this Asaph collection can go from here. Let me tell you about the not-so-good direction. Recently, I discovered that there are a couple new social media trends that have grabbed the attention of many church leaders. If you're on social media right now, you could probably find them. One is hashtag deconversion, and the other hashtag exvangelical. These hashtags describe the experiences of people who grew up in a Christian household and were inspired to ask questions about the goodness and validity of the Bible. Did Jesus really rise from the dead, or is that just a myth created by the disciples? Does the doctrine of the Bible actually lead to the good life that we're all looking for? Is God really good if he's calling me to sacrifice so many of my human desires that make me who I am? Is this all just wishful thinking? Now the church has been answering these questions for millennia. The answers are abundant and I'd encourage you to not be afraid and explore the Three Crosses church body alongside other outside resources for these answers. For now, what I want to point out is that tragically, many have abandoned Jesus inspired by what they see namely the earthly prosperity of those who abandon the Christian worldview. In contrast, they see those who profess faith suffering and making needless sacrifices according to the rules of a book written thousands of years ago. The questions as a Christian is, how do we begin to see what God sees? How do we attain a divine perspective on life when it seems so backwards? Well, here's how Asaph, again, perfectly suited to talk about sacrifice, handles the situation. Psalm 73, 16. But when I thought how to understand all this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. It wasn't until Asaph entered the sanctuary of God, the place in which God dwells and interacts with his people, that he began to see something that transcends our understanding about our momentary afflictions. He begins to discern the bigger, grander spiritual narrative. He sees the perfectly righteous and just ending for those who live according to the deeds of the flesh. Justice is coming. You might be wondering, how did his mindset shift so quickly? How does one begin to discern the end of the wicked? What does it mean? Does it actually help? In the middle of this section of Asaph Psalms, the author begins to understand these things by delighting in the law of the Lord and meditating on the works of God. 
Psalm 77, 11 to 12. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Psalm 78, 1 through 4. Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from old, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. What exactly do we learn from meditating on the law of the Lord? First, we learn that God is the author and creator of this world. God is in the business of taking what seems to be chaotic and destructive and bringing order and beauty to them. This is his revelation. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightning lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. Psalm 77, 16 to 19. We also learn that Yahweh is a judge who is to be feared. In fact, the Proverbs say that the beginning of all wisdom is the fear of the Lord. I love how Asaph leans into this concept. Psalm 75, 2-5 At the set time that I appoint, I will judge with equity. When the earth totters and all its inhabitants, it is I who keep steady its pillars. I say to the boastful, do not boast. And to the wicked, do not lift up your horn. Do not lift up your horn on high or speak with a haughty neck. Psalm 76, 7-10 But you, God, you are to be feared. Who can stand before you when once your anger is roused? From the heavens you uttered judgment. The earth feared and was still. When God arose to establish judgment to save all the humble of the earth. Surely the wrath of man shall praise you. The remnant of wrath you will put on like a belt. Third, we learn that God holds fast to those who shema, or listen and obey, to his covenant terms. Shema is that same Hebrew word Moses famously uses back in Deuteronomy 6. Psalm 81, 8-10 says, Hear, O my people, while I admonish you. O Israel, if you would but listen to me, there shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Finally, we're given examples of the violent end to those who oppose God and his people. After remembering various enemies found in the Old Testament, in Psalm 83, Asaph cries out, Oh my God, make them like whirling dust, like chaff before the wind. As fire consumes the forest, as the flame sets the mountains ablaze, so may you pursue them with your tempest and terrify them with your hurricane. Fill their faces with shame that they may seek your name, O Lord. Let them be put to shame and dismayed forever. Let them perish in disgrace that they may know that you alone, whose name is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. Psalm 83, 13-18 So now I ask you, will you believe in what you can see or will we adopt God's divine perspective and have faith in him? The best way to do this is to do what Psalms 1 says, Meditate on God's story. 
When we do that, we are introduced to a much larger narrative that transcends our momentary experience. Do you believe this? After wrestling with this very tension, here is where Asaph lands in Psalm 73. Verses 23 to 28 say, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. Here's a quote to ponder for your group. Tim Keller in The Reason for God says this, Freedom, then, is not the absence of limitations and constraints, but it is finding the right ones, those that fit our nature and liberate us. Once you realize how Jesus changed for you and gave himself for you, you aren't afraid of giving up your freedom and therefore finding your freedom in him. How would you define freedom? How does this quote challenge your understanding of what freedom actually is? Mm-hmm.